Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO Podcast. If you're a chief executive, or if you think like one, and you want to create exponentially greater impact, then this show is for you. My name is Richard Medcalf, founder of X-Quadrant. I coach some of the most successful and impressive CEOs and executive teams on the planet and help them achieve extraordinary results. And no matter how successful you've been in the past, there's always a whole new level of impact available to you. So if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. In today's episode, I speak with Thomas Zanzinger of InRiver on radical transparency. Thomas recently took over the CEO role, uh, getting promoted from the chief sales officer in just a few months. So we talk about that and that transition. And then how did Thomas onboard as CEO during the COVID lockdown and how could he create meaningful connections with his team and with his customers in that environment? And most interestingly, I think we get on to his radical approach to transparency, how he really shares information that traditionally would not be shared with a wider team and how that's really boosted trust and employee engagement. So I think this concept of radical transparency has a lot to teach us. So sit back um, and listen with interest to this discussion with Thomas Zanzinger. Thomas, great to have you with me today on the show. Richard, nice meeting you and pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to this one. I know that you've recently taken on the CEO role, uh, CEO role of InRiver, and um, I'm really looking forward to diving in with you to understand about that learning curve, what it's, what it's been like. I know that you took on the role right in the middle of the first COVID lockdown, which must be a, um, a crazy moment to actually be given the CEO mantle. So um, this is going to be a fun one. Do you want to start by telling me what's, what's in River and you know, how did you come to land the, 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 the CEO role? Absolutely. And you're right. I think there are some really interesting angles to the discussion points today. Yeah, but let's first of all do a brief introduction and start with InRiver. InRiver is a Swedish-based and globally operating software vendor. InRiver provides product information management in a software as a service solution. And we help companies actually to open their digital front door and bring their products and solutions to their clients by enabling commerce. Uh, to our clients are they either in the manufacturing or retail and consumer goods industry and most of them you actually will even have at home or use in a personal way many of the global leaders yeah uh, we're around 300 people globally have around 600 clients and we are in a, in a high growth business that means total business growth annually is around 30 percent um maybe briefly so, on myself yeah. so just to say there's a lot of change right i mean you, you know it's this is not just a uh, you know, didn't come into a business that was fairly stable. You came into a business where everything is changing quite dramatically year on year. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a high growth business. And also in some way, the market dynamics are changing at the same point of time. Yeah. The market is developing itself and we have a real opportunity to shape the market. Yeah. Got it. Um, I joined InRiver roughly two years ago. Yeah. Um, and I'm living right now for the second time outside of Germany, which provides, which is my home country. And I think that provides also an interesting perspective on the previous home market and gives quite a bit of an openness to many things. Yeah. My background is mostly in the software industry. Uh, I would call myself technologically very aware and interested. 
um, I'm really commercially driven and it's the passionate piece uh, of, of the part that I'm enjoying pretty much every day whilst being the CEO and giving that a, then a commercial and very customer centric spin. Got it. Interesting. So, so you, yes, you, you came from that commercial side and then um, what was it do you think that uh, made you a pick for the CEO role, right? Because it's, it's you know, it's, it's, a, it's a real expansion in responsibilities from perhaps, you know, direct you know, revenue top line focus. Yeah, absolutely. And I think well, what did definitely help is I had joined InRiver six months before and was the chief sales officer in the organization. And probably what I had managed quite well is actually to build, even in a short period of time, a decent track record. And also we were able to build out really good relationships with the uh, related stockholders, shareholders. And uh, that's very important. InRiver is a uh, venture capital financed organization in a strong growth path. Yeah. And let's say the board has a key role actually then defining um, who is, uh, let's say, leading the company going forward. And actually that uh, has helped quite a bit. Yeah, so build, it's really interesting because I'm sure there's a lot of people listening actually who might be in that role, right? They might actually be on the, in the C-suite and they're wondering about, um, you know, do they have what it takes or what might it take? And I think that point about obviously you need to deliver your results, but there's also relationships to build, uh, especially uh, with the board and, and, and shareholders. Is there anything else that you would say would have characterized, you know, made, made it clear to people that you were not just going to be in the sales role? Yeah. Um, I think it helped also quite a bit because then I became actually the, the, the leader to previous colleagues of mine. Yeah, let's say, for example, the person leading the services department, the person leading the people department and the finance team. Uh, what definitely has helped in order to uh, really uh, land the role is to have a, a broad approach and not just to focus on one single piece, but to cooperate and really collaborate very well with the other departments. So there's always an understanding there's a bigger thing behind me maybe than the core responsibility. Mm. And also having the support of the leadership team of the other leaders of the departments probably helped quite a bit in order then to get promoted into the role. So I'm pretty sure the board did consult also with them. if They find that's a good way to take it forward. Yeah, that's um, it's a great point. I think often when I work with uh, leadership teams, management teams, I often find that people are great functional leaders, but they're not always looking cross-functionally, right, at the gaps between the, the different departments. And I think what you're talking there is that, you know, making sure you're joining the dots mm-hmm. and taking responsibility beyond your own function, which which I guess is is uh, is key. So, okay, so you, you, you took on the, um, the CEO role and you said it was pretty much right where COVID had was just kicking in mm-hmm. so you were kind of stuck at home uh, behind the screen at the time where you would normally be out there meeting people and correct yeah. at, and... at that point of time i was still living uh, in munich in germany yeah and in rivers business uh, the headquarter of the organization is based out of south of sweden in malmö uh, we do have offices in amsterdam and also in chicago yeah while me then actually working out of the munich home office not having any possibility really to meet some people face to face it really was an interesting thing. So how do you build out then relations at a much deeper level? Yeah, how do you get mm. even in much more close contact with the people? Uh, because when you step into that kind of new role, you always have got your specialty. For me, that would be the commercial side. Yeah, But how do I learn fast enough about what's happening on the development side? How yes. to get quickly enough actually into product vision? Yeah, how do I assess, uh, for example, financial structure of the organization and really come up then uh, maybe with my view on how the company looks like and how it should look like in the future. And at the same point of time, then also 
uh, bring people uh, in and have, make them part of the future solution. So also involve them in the thinking, not just coming up with an idea, maybe just by myself. Yeah, all tons of great questions. How, so how did you do it? Um, <laughs> what were your answers to those questions? How would you engage people and learn fast? I think uh, most important is one of my previous bosses always said, you've got uh, two ears, you've got one mouth. Yeah? Listen carefully, ask a lot of questions. I think in one way, it's also a bit about personality. It's really being humble, yeah? but really having a genuine interest in the job of the people, and, but also especially in the people itself and how they can be successful. And as I found also out with my previous colleagues, then uh, they have very different levels of not levels of motivation, but ways to be motivated and what really triggers them. So it's very much about getting to know the persons then really, yeah, and then take that as a foundation. Yeah. Uh, when I look at my agenda in hindsight, it was really stacked up quite extensively. Yeah. So it means um, when you are in a remote world, there's a lot of way actually to actively communicate and to drive communication. Nothing is going to arrive automatically at myself. It's a yes. lot has to be launched, especially in the beginning. Yeah, so taking the initiative, right, on, on those conversations. Yeah. And, and, and I'm interested in what you said about motivation. Yeah. Um, what's your experience of how people are motivated? Right? A lot of people ask, you know, there's a question a lot of people say, how do I motivate people? And you say it's different, and I totally agree, it is different. But yeah. like, do you have like a mental model of these are kind of the areas that might motivate people and I'm you're trying to figure out? Um, yeah, well, each and every person is, is, is very different. Yeah, I think it's really important to understand what, what are they in for, what excites them. So it's a lot about getting to know the persons and there's certain ways how you actually can, uh, I think, uh, figure out motivation and personality. I think that the key topic is really to build out a trusted relationship with the person. Yeah, And mm. then also to be there when, uh, when I'm needed to be there. Uh, some people are highly autonomous and are fully capable of driving your business. For others, it's more important actually just to throw out some ideas, discuss and debate them, and then take them forward. Others, or maybe in certain situations, might need even a very much closer handle and really work much closer together. Yeah, so I think it's it's a lot of situative uh, leadership and how you work mm. with people and then also adapt it to their specific needs. Yeah, no, I like it. I like, I like the personalization. So, so obviously you uh, you come into COVID and, and, and this was the uh, situation. You're having to take initiative. You're having to spend your time listening talking with people were there other things that you found you had to do or surprises that you found as you were going through this process things that you weren't quite planning for yeah well as we as we are a high growth company uh, recruitment and employee retention is a core topic for us yeah and uh, yeah. then also driving recruitment in a complete virtual way uh, just a few uh, weeks actually ago when I did meet my global leadership team in Sweden for the first time after the pandemic I actually met for the very first time the then uh, VP of sales for North America, yeah, who I'd hired then actually more than a year ago. And we've only actually had all of the interview process in a virtual world. We yeah. only interacted in a virtual world. And now 14 months later, we had then the opportunity to, to meet each other for the very first time. Mm. And uh, that was really great to see. Yeah. I, I also think what I experienced uh, when you've got the leadership team together and working with an organization, um, it's, also in a face-to-face -face environment, important to communicate and to over-communicate. In the virtual world, it's even more important. Yeah, You cannot over-communicate enough yeah, because people will lose it. Uh, we have seen that very clearly. We have refined our strategy last year and then also heard from the people. So how are we doing with strategy? And that did send a very strong signal. Communicate over and over again and really help people to stay on track and actually help them uh, keep the boundary that you're operating uh, in for. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, um, one of the things that I often speak with CEOs about is the idea of um, boring people. Like you're actually almost, you know, your, your, lead, your direct reports should be, you know, your leadership team should be bored at your message because if they're getting bored, you might just be getting it through to other people. <laughs> um, but if it's always fresh and interesting, then it pretty means it's completely confusing a uh, couple of layers down. Absolutely agreed. And the boring actually resonates, even if it's maybe not the most positive word, but we said, hey, today it's really a boring meeting. Yeah? When we talked about communication, uh, we tried a lot of very different communication mechanisms. Yeah? Uh, when I joined InRiver and we had something like a town hall meeting, and then I saw people actually not joining, I asked them, why don't you join? And I said, mm, actually, it's not worth the time. And then when digging deeper, uh, in many ways, they said, okay, there's maybe it's always just very positive messages, but we don't actually seem to get to the real topic. Yeah? And we launched, especially then during the, um, during the pandemic situation, a really full transparency program. So the level of information that our teams are actually informed, uh, let's say, has many components actually of what the board actually is getting to see. So I'm not preparing special slides actually for internally. Uh, people are getting pretty much the same level of information as the board does. And that level of transparency has been really greatly appreciated because they said, okay, now we're getting to the real thing. We hear the good stuff, but we also get clarity on the topics that actually need to be improved. Yeah? And this communication transparency mm. also has really raised employee engagement uh, to, an, uh, to a really very, very strong level. Were there any concerns about that? Were you worried about that in some way, about giving too much information or about things being misunderstood or sensitive subjects? I, mean, I think it's fantastic, right? You know, if you can do one presentation and share it everywhere, yeah. it's got a lot of advantages. But uh, what was the fear or doubt in that? In the beginning, there was in, in some way maybe the uncertainty. So what is it if that actually moves then clearly into competition? Yeah. Uh, on the other side, uh, we, we've got a great team, yeah, and we are doing our best to hire really uh, extremely good people. And we, we need to trust them. If, if we don't trust actually our teams, so who else should we trust? Yeah, mm. and uh, then I think there's always nothing in life is without risk. Uh, so far, it really has turned out very nicely for us, and it's a trajectory that we are definitely going to continue because the, trans mm. the transparency builds trust uh, then also to the leadership team. And that's very important uh, that people really know where to go. It's Richard here with a quick interlude. As part of my coaching and advisory work, I often work with leaders who have recently taken on the CEO role. It's a big leap from the comfort zone of functional leadership or business unit management. And it opens up a whole new set of stakeholders, pressures, decisions, and responsibilities. I found that there are three key things that will make a huge difference in those first quarters. Number one, balancing the operational and the strategic what I call CEO focus. Number two, establishing credibility, what I call CEO presence. And number three, managing stakeholders, those CEO conversations. I've written a short email series that goes into more detail on the transition to CEO and how you can practically sharpen your CEO focus, solidify your CEO presence and master your CEO conversations. It's insightful, and it's entirely free of charge, and you can register for it by going to xquadrant.com forward slash go forward slash curve. Now, back to the conversation. What else does the transparency give you? I mean, I can understand that it's raised the engagement and, and, and so forth, but, but why do you think, you know, what's, what's it providing people with that they weren't getting before? 
Yeah. Um, I've got really good uh, people leaders for their respective departments, yeah, but it's also really important that people understand what is the bigger picture behind. Mm. Yeah? And uh, it's a way then actually to uh, not only work with the teams in the, from a departmental point of view, yeah, as we are a global team with offices in many places, we have a very broad partner network. So people need to be pretty much aware of what's going on mm. without really speaking each and every day to a ton of people. Yeah? So therefore yeah. the communication enables uh, the teams across the world actually to run their business in a pretty autonomous and enabled way. Yeah, that's for us is a very big benefit. Yeah, that's no, really interesting. I um, um, yeah, there's often a, a, a there's often a cry for visibility from management down, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, they often don't think about providing it the other way, right? Um, yeah, and- because often people say, "I want to, I want to have all the numbers all across the business and really, so I can manage it all." But I mean, and I'm, but you're actually saying, "Well, yes, but also we need to provide the, that big picture to everybody as well." Correct. Yeah, because only if really the teams understand what we're up to, they really can do their job. Yeah, and then yeah. we also enable them maybe to go a longer way than originally foreseen. Yeah, and for us, that has really proven very nicely. Yeah, yeah you, you're basically democratizing the context, right? Um, right? Often the problem is that senior management have context which lower level people don't have. And so how are they expected? How do you want them to make decisions if they don't have the context? They can't, right? Which yeah. means that they have to come up to the, the, the senior mm-hmm. leaders. Yeah. So yeah, that's fascinating. So is there anything, anything else that you found that was a, a surprise or it worked surprisingly well or was surprisingly difficult about yeah. this transition? Um, it, it was a tough one. Yeah, again, thanks to the pandemic, I think that's probably a unique experience that I will not uh, gather in another way again. Um, I think what you also see, uh, let's say, um, you see, I think things going well, but you also see certain things actually going maybe not expressively well. Yeah, And mm. the interesting piece is, um, how long do you actually, does it actually take you then to assess the situation and take a decision? Uh, the interesting learning that I took away is you see things and you often have really an extremely good gut feeling yeah, that you mm-hmm. actually can uh, take some data points on top of that and actually come to a conclusion. I think one of the things that I've learned also over time is does not make sense then to go for a dozen more data points yeah, because at some point of time, uh, the, uh, the assessment is really solidified and you can actually go and take the decision. Yeah. It's also fine then uh, to involve other people, really take them in for their specific opinion uh, that you're not just uh, the lonely decision taker, which is sometimes must do, yeah, but in, in ways in core areas that is maybe not your core expertise. And for me, that was product and development, uh, where it's really clear uh, that I have a good team in place that I'm happily relying on. But if things can go wrong, yeah, uh, there are ways that they will go wrong. And sometimes then it's even accelerating that uh, uh, other parts of the organization or of the market at the same point of time are moving. Yeah? And the level of complexity and the multitude of topics going on at the same point of time was definitely a change compared to the previous job mm-hmm. and the level of attention that it needed also. How did you manage all that, that complexity? What was your response to that? Yeah, um, I think the, the first response for most is probably all, uh, let, let's put in the hours, uh, but uh, then you also find out pretty quickly, okay, there's just a limit uh, to the hours at the end of the day, yeah, and yeah. you still have a life and you want to have another life outside of business. Uh, so it's um, it's also clearly relying on the teams that are built out yeah, and letting them do their job. That's probably one also of the bigger learnings, yeah, take the hands off, which is difficult. For me, it was very difficult. And I even catch myself sometimes in order where I'm getting too much hands on instead of letting the teams do their jobs. 
Yes. Yeah? Because they know it best. I've hired them as the specialists for their respective areas. So uh, they should be able to do the job. Yeah, and, and I guess that kind of goes back to that point about the gut feeling and the data points as well, right? Uh, even if you, you know, even if you can perhaps take the decision, it's not always the best one for you to be taking it. Correct. Yeah, because um, it's always when I take the the decision, then it says, okay, yes, Thomas has taken the decision, but it's important also that people are owning certain topics by themselves, and they also need to feel encouraged to take the decision. And even if things go wrong, yeah, without uh, having failures in our decision making there will be no learning for the organization. Okay, if you do exactly the same error three times in a row in a very short time frame, it's maybe a different yeah. topic, but um, we, we must actually uh, have some things going in the wrong direction in order to improve the overall outcome. Yeah, I'd like to make the distinction that it's not so much that we celebrate failure, but we celebrate learning, right? Yeah. And there is no learning without failure. <laughs> but the point yeah. is, it's not celebrating the failure itself. Yeah. It's celebrating what are the insights that we've now uh, integrated as a result of that. Exactly. And it's also good when people can talk about that. Yeah. Let's say, what would I do differently next time? Yeah. What's my learning and uh, can I enable them actually to fail fast? Yeah. yeah. Or am I afraid actually to take the decision and waiting on somebody else? And uh, I think for, for us as a high performance and really fast growing organization, that's absolutely key that will make the experience pretty quickly. Thomas, what's the most courageous thing you've had to do in the last year or so? Oh, it's an extremely good question. Well, it's uh, it always goes back into the virtual world. Yeah, uh, as I mentioned, we are venture capital financed, and uh, as an organization, we are close to profitability, uh, but we, have, we do have very aggressive growth plans. Yeah, we want to build out and are building out our business in North America, and we have opened the UK and Germany uh, during 2021. That means uh, InRiver needed a uh, totally different level of funding. I've never done fundraising by myself before. Yeah, I was mm -hmm. well supported actually by the board and by good coaching, but we managed then actually in a period of uh, actually less than six weeks uh, to close for InRiver a significant funding round of over 30 million US dollars that actually then enabled us to uh, execute then our growth uh, opportunities. Yeah, and. Uh, if you call it courageous, I, I don't know, but I definitely can tell you it was a steep learning curve. Yeah, it was yeah. something that had to happen and it went successfully and also in tandem, let's say with other people of the leadership team. And it was very encouraging to see. Yeah, fantastic. So what about, what's your top learning tip, uh, your top tip for a new CEO, right? What, what, would you, what would you tell them to grab hold of and seize? You know, and what trap would you suggest that they avoid? Yeah. Um, absolutely key is build a great team yeah and do not do any mediocre hires probably anybody let's say who is leading people and who is recruiting that's one thing for everybody with a people responsibility yeah make the mm -hmm. best hires that you can even if they are more expensive even if it takes you longer but otherwise you will uh, let's say in a negative way pay the price if you deviate from that that's probably my number one recommendation yeah, yeah. with the great people build a great team and does not mean that always the, the best or the most highly skilled people will form the best team. Yeah? But you also need okay. to have a very strong view. How are these people working together? And in the in-river uh, environment, we've probably formed a fairly complex leadership team structure because my leadership team actually sits in Chicago. It sits mm -hmm. in Sweden. It sits in uh, Amsterdam and also in Munich in Germany. Yeah, and we've got at least five different nations in there. And you can yeah. imagine the cultural differences. Yeah. On the yeah. other side, it's, it's a huge um, opportunity because all of the markets are represented. Yeah, 
It's also a, a good split between female and male people in the team, which is really great for the dynamics. And that actually helps us then really to drive the business in a very good way. So build a great team yeah, mm. and uh, don't be afraid of diversity and also maybe in some way complexity. Yeah, fantastic. And um, it was there something which, you know, say was a bit of a, a trap or that you, would, you look back at now thinking I would have done that very differently if I was to do it again? Yeah. Um, in, in some way, I think I would probably should have looked into some things even faster and even quicker. Yeah. And uh, again, that goes into the topic, don't be afraid then to take a decision when you get the signs. Normally, you are not proven wrong yeah, with a, a limited number of data points. I think you'll get a very good direction. Yeah. Um, the other learning is really, in some way, let go. Yeah, let the people do their job and don't get in, uh, by yourself involved too much because yeah. otherwise also your time is limited. Yeah, you cannot uh, in an endless way just be everywhere. Recognize and trust actually the people. Yeah. Um, the other topic we talked about that one was the communication piece. Mm. I'm also trying uh, different ways of communicating with the teams. Yeah, and uh, mm. while I was writing blogs or so we have the town hall meetings that really work very well and are very engaged. I've also changed and adopted communication style now to have video logs or vlogs yeah, that actually go out to the teams and people are pretty right. receptive to that. Yeah, And we all have, let's say, in some way, a mobile phone yeah, that you can take. It's an easy thing. Yeah? It yeah. doesn't need to be complicated. Yeah, It's just no, something exactly. spontaneous. Yeah. yeah, in fact, I think when they're more spontaneous, they're more impactful, right? Because yeah. people get to connect uh, rather than when it's too corporate video and you know too polished, right? Actually, yeah. it's not as authentic. Yeah. So Thomas, it's been a great conversation. Uh, thank you for sharing these insights. I'm really curious as to what's your next level, right? Um, as a business, I've heard that you know you're expanding into new markets, you're building out, you know, you're, you're riding this growth curve. Um, what's your own growth going to be as a CEO? Where do you see that, you know, that edge, that uh, that, yeah. that opportunity for you? But probably better than me to answer a question actually would be my team because they probably recognize maybe some of the edges even more, but I'll, I'll, give, it a, I'll give it a try. Uh, for InRiver, definitely we'll continue our growth path and we'll uh, even go further to accelerate that growth yeah, because we see a huge market opportunity. Uh, E-commerce is very strongly thriving and we provide a foundational technology, which is really uh, good and gets a lot of interest in the market. That means geographic expansion will continue to be there. But it's also about redefining our set in the industry. And that means uh, the value chain that we are providing to our customers that we extend it even more actually to the actual cell where we actually help customers then really to make analysis-based the right decisions um, to uh, what is the next best action to take in order to increase their success. Yeah. Um, for me, it's, it's so also as InRiver, we have an opportunity to reshape the industry in some way. And there are not many opportunities, I think, in life that you can have. It was one of mm -hmm. the reasons why I joined. Yeah. I will focus, um, I will always stay very closely connected to the commercial part of the business because that's truly where uh, my heart is. And I will concentrate stronger on the corporate development piece. Yeah? So how do we really set up the organization? Uh, how do we make it... Uh, uh, failure proof and uh, that we actually can avoid uh, failures and uh, really can execute even better. So yeah, so this, this, you're saying the stretch there is really about leaning more into the corporate development perhaps mm -hmm. rather than the, the comfort zone of the commercial, but while still staying involved, right, with customers and, and the market. Yeah, absolutely, because I find and we see from our clients and partners and prospects that they really appreciate if the leadership team is very involved, yeah, you're not detached and say, okay, 
uh, we need to understand what drives our customers because that's the only way how they will continue to use our software as a service mm -hmm. yeah? because the customers could also decide just to turn it off and use something else that's the beauty or maybe the downside of running a software as a service business yeah fantastic well hey thank you thomas for sharing these um these insights I, you know i think i've, I've loved this um um, these points, right? Points around decision making, around transparency, um, you know, around uh, just, um, yeah, deciding when you got to go move fast and act fast, and when you also have to delegate and let other teams, you know, the teams work it through and and take ownership themselves. So I think these have been some great distinctions. If people want to find out more about InRiver or get in touch with you, how should they do that? Well, there's, uh, first of all, they can approach me at thomas.zanzinger at inriver.com. It's probably a challenging one. Uh, also could go, Richard, uh, via you. Uh, we can be easily found on the website. I'm on LinkedIn. And uh, let's say please reach out and make the contact. Perfect. Well, once again, thanks a lot, Thomas, and uh, look forward to continuing the conversation. Richard, my pleasure. Thanks for having me today. Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Now let's talk about you. When you're in top leadership, when you're in the biggest role of your career, who supports you at a deep level as you lead others? Who helps you multiply your impact and get to the next level? If you're ready to learn more about our content, our coaching, and our community, then visit us at xquadrant.com.